We're here to attend to the Scriptures, to the Word of God, and we're going to be looking at the second C of um, Pastor Jack's sermons in Advent. He did the first C, which was comfort, and then today we're going to be looking at confront. And so, before we do that, let us look to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You that You have called us together to study Your Word, and to be in Your presence, to be in one another's fellowship, to look into Your Word and to glean from it wisdom and truth, Your love letter to us. As You confront us, O Lord, with Your Word, might You speak to us in a personal and powerful way that only You can. We pray, Father, for those on their way, that you would grant them your traveling mercies on the wet roads. And for those not able to be with us today, Lord, we pray for your blessing to extend to them. Thank you for the warmth of this place, that we're warm and dry here. Thank you for everyone who's gathered here and for the food that has been prepared, the feasting of food and the feasting of faith. Might you, O Lord, sojourn with us and with the community here at Village Church throughout this holy season of Advent as we look to the nativity scene where your son Jesus Christ came in flesh and blood, offering your love and life to us and indeed to the world. Father, might your spirit now Make your presence known to us as we study your word now and reflect upon Malachi and the truths contained therein. Anchor us to your heart, to the heart of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're looking at uh, Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament there. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and then chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Let us hear the word of the Lord. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift to bear witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in their wages, the widow and the orphan, against those who thrust aside the alien, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. And then chapter 4. See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise, 
with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the teaching of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Indeed. So in the season of of Advent, as I said at the beginning, uh, Pastor Jack is going to be preaching on uh, four C's, and this last Sunday he preached on comfort, where the Lord comes and comforts His people. Comfort ye, my people, comfort Jerusalem in the midst of life's trials, in the midst of various storms of life, both individually and as a community. Certainly the storms that Israel confronted um, in in grand ways, the Lord provided His presence, right? The Lord provided His grace and His His powerful promise. And so wherever the Lord is, the Lord comforts. This coming Sunday, Pastor Jack will be preaching on the second C, Confront. Wherever the Lord is, wherever the Lord is present, when we read it in Scripture and even in our own lives, when the Lord is present, the Lord confronts us, and in confronting us, changes us, transforms us in some way. Wherever the Lord confronts a person or a people, they leave changed in some way even though it may not be evident right away, but in some way, that person or that group of people or that community is is changed. The power of God's Word, wherever God's Word is present, the Lord is present. And the Lord desires to accomplish a purpose. Now, what is that purpose? Uh, To love God and to love one another, right? Those are the two basic purposes of why when God acts in Genesis all the way to Revelation and in order to, to free His creation, to free us to love, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one another as He loves us. So what we see in, the, in, the, in these scriptures in, in Malachi, and in all of scripture, but in Malachi, is... God is on a mission, and that's no different than all the other books um, in the Bible, of God, who is love, is desiring His people, and by extension, from Israel and through Israel, a message to all the world that all are to love God and to love one another. Now, Malachi, um, even though Malachi is, is here as the last book, Uh, in the Old Testament, Malachi is uh, believed to have been written um, after the construction of the second temple, right? Malachi um, 
writes after Ezra Nehemiah, so when we read about the, the reconstruction of the temples, of the second temple after Israel is restored back, after their, after their um, 70 years in captivity in Babylon, after all those decades of wondering and waiting, when are we going to be restored? Here we are in Babylon. Um, they're finally restored by the order of the Persian king, Cyrus the Great. They go back, Ezra and Nehemiah account for us how the second temple is rebuilt, and they spend a great deal of time in rededicating, in rededicating the temple, and to restate the law, to restate the Mosaic law, just as what Joshua did in Exodus when they were, or in the Exodus, not in the book of Exodus, when the Israelites are about to enter the promised land, because of a new generation of Israelites that had been born in the desert during the Exodus, they had to restate, here is the law, here is the promise of God, this is how we worship God, this is how God desires to be worshipped, this is how we express our love for God. And so likewise, the Israelites that were restored after the exile, many of whom were either older adults by that time, or who had been born in Babylon and who had not been exposed to the homeland for all intents and purposes, now had to be recalibrated, had to be reset, if you will, that here is the stories that our mothers and grandmothers taught us. Let us restate the stories of creation. Let's restate the covenants with Abraham and with, and with Moses. Let's restate our experience the pivotal and formative experiences of the Exodus. Let's restate the Psalms. Let's restate the Mosaic Law. Let's restate all those things in order so that a present and a future generation will know of the faith, will know of the living God, the God of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Rachel, to know that it's a living faith. It's not a dead faith. And that it's so important for not only our individual faith and identity, but even more so the identity and faith of us as a community and as a nation and by extension of the entire world. Yesterday, um, yesterday morning, as uh, Grace and I were having uh, breakfast, and you all know that we always have breakfast uh, together, except for Sundays, uh, because I, I come here really uh, come here earlier, um, but every day without fault we always have breakfast after the the boys are heading off to school, back their lunch and so forth. I always without fault prepare our French press coffee. Have a coffee, have some eggs, right? Have a toast. Well, yesterday, Grace had made up uh, the day prior this huge pot of um, of solong tang, which is the Korean beef broth. Where you boil the, 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 the beef bone, right? Nicole, you know, solong tang. It's really good, right? You boil it and boil it with onions and with, and with um, parsnip and garlic and you just boil it, boil it, boil it until the, until the broth is like white. It's really good, right? So there we were, had this, had some, um, had some, uh, had some uh, radish in there. It's really good. And chopped up some green onion. So you put it in there. So 
as I was about to eat the soup and, and I was, uh, some, our conversation went to something about strength and, and, and courage and so forth. Oh, I think it was because the boys were preparing for a test or something. And I said, oh, you know, my, my reading this morning before I got up, because when I wake up in the morning and I'm still laying in bed, I look at the news feed, like what's happening in the world, and I look at um, the Psalms. And the Psalm reading, I said, yeah, you know, this morning's Psalm was from like Psalm 33, Psalm 33. And it, it said something about, you know, kings, kings, uh, don't, uh, kings place their trust in their armies and warriors place their trust in strength, but we ought to place our trust in the Lord. But I wasn't quite sure, and so she said, well, you know, let me look at the Bible. You know, let me just look and just double check. So she started to um, flip through, and she went to Psalm 33. The moment that Grace started to read Psalm 33, as I was about to, to put my, you know, to taste the soup, lo and behold, there was a piece of green onion that floated towards the spoon, and you know what shape the green onion was? In the shape of a heart. The shape of a heart. And then there was another one that floated next to it. It was two hearts. And I have a photo if you want to see it. And I said, this is a perfect, a perfect story for me to tell to the Bible study and to the boys when they come home from school. Because one, it's so cold right? Soup is like, as Jack said, you know, comfort food. Like, wow, this is so comforting that my wife made. It's so, it's a gift of love. Why? There's love, and you read Psalms. Now, I'm not, you know, I was baptized Roman Catholic, but if I were, you know, an active Catholic, wow, there's a sign here. There's a sign right here in the soup. Now, the soup, right, the soup, salong tongue, right, this beef broth is in all Korean households, soup is love. When, when mothers give birth, right, their moms or the mother figure in the home will make soup. And when there is a first birthday, you make soup. And when there's a 60th birthday, 80th birthday, you make soup. And when I come home from a trip, if I come home from a trip, Grace makes soup. <laughs> now, different kinds of soup for each of those occasions. Now, that drives home the point because that's what's happening with these prophets after the exile. Now, they're not making soup, but what they're doing is they're inculcating, they're instilling love. Love. In the family, in the community, to share the stories of what love is about. Now, here's the problem, as we'll now see in Malachi. There was a problem because even as the temple was reconstructed and faith was being reconstructed, okay, the building was being reconstructed and the people were being reconstructed, but as we'll see in Malachi, something was going awry. And what was going awry? God is finding that the hearts of the people and the priests were not really deeply loving God as they ought to. That the orthodoxy wasn't matching with the orthopraxy. The right belief wasn't matching with the right practice. Orthodoxy, right belief. Orthopraxy, right practice or right living. That there was, a, there was a mismatch. Malachi, as I put in your outline, 
the whole Malachi, is divided into six oracles, six messages of God using the prophet Malachi as almost like a prosecutor that's issuing six indictments. And the indictments come in the form of questions. The questions are anticipating the questions of the heart that Israel is asking, to which God has already answered. Because we know that the living God, as we see when Jesus confronts people, He knows what's in our heart, right? He knows what's lurking in there, whether we say it or not. And so what Malachi is doing in these four chapters is that God is using the mouthpiece of, of Malachi and his writings and his, and his teachings to confront Israel with the lackluster love, the lackluster worship, putting the question in their heart or on their lips that's coming from their heart and then saying, here's how I'm going to respond to your question. Okay, here's how I'm going to respond to your question. And in each of these times, God is confronting them in a way that is a loving judgment. He wants Israel, He wants His people, and by extension, He wants us to be truthful in our heart, because He knows our heart, and to worship Him and to love Him and to love one another in a way that gives glory to God so that the community then could be this shining beacon that, wow, the world can see, wow, that people are a people who know their God, who are loved by God, and who loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So here are the six oracles very briefly, uh, briefly but then we're going to look at Oracle 4, 5, and 6 because that's where our text today overlaps with those uh, with those. Oracles, But the first three, I note here in your outline, the first oracle is found in Malachi chapter 1, 2 through 5. And the question that is asked there, so you'll know why, where each oracle is based on a question, like there's a new question. So each section has a question. And so the first oracle in chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, is asking the question, how have you loved us? Okay, that's the first question. How have you loved us? Um, Israel is wondering, well, okay, we're we're still facing some challenges. What are those challenges? Well, the Persian Empire is still in play, right? Even though they've been restored, temples rebuilt, there's a puppet king here, so we still have our, our conquerors, they're still here. There's still the, you know, the usual challenges of being a community, um, some people who, who get the promises of God and some who don't. So we still have those challenges. And so the question is, so how have you loved us? He anticipates that question from the Israelites. And then he answers it. This is how he answers it very quickly. We won't spend too much time on chapter 1. This is how I love you. I love Jacob. Even though Esau, his brother, uh, you know, they're, they're related, I still love Jacob. My promise to Jacob from way, way, way back, centuries ago, is still intact. I still love Jacob, and Jacob, of course, is renamed Israel. So my love that was proclaimed to Jacob is still here. Okay, so that's oracle number one. The indictment, of course, is don't question my love for you. I still love you. 
Okay? Oracle number two in Malachi chapter 1, 6 through chapter 2, verse 9. He asks the, he asks the question or he confronts them with this question of, how have we despised your name? Because the priests are wondering, well, why are you charging us with us dishonoring your name? And he anticipates that question. The priests are wondering, well, you know, they're sort of clueless. Like, in what ways have we not, you know, worship you in the right way? And God answers them by listing out, here's how you have failed me in your worship. For instance, you offered sacrifices of blind animals, which you shouldn't. That goes against the, the book of Leviticus. Um, you have not tended, for instance, uh, to violence or to, or to those who are sick. You have not shown your love in that way. And so he anticipates their question, and then he answers it in this way. Oracle number three in Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16 where they ask him the question, um, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our ancestors? In other words, Israel is asking, why aren't we getting along? Right? If we have one Father, if we have this one covenant and we ought to be one, one family, one community, why aren't we getting along? And why, are there, why is there divorce? And why is there disharmony in our community? And God answers them by saying, um, by asking, uh, or by saying that He is the God of justice. He's the one who still calls them to covenant faithfulness. That even as they are, there's disharmony and they're, they're not honoring each other in their relationships, uh, He still calls them to be faithful to each other. That those covenant promises to be faithful to each other, to be loving toward each other, is still in play. So, even as they're pondering, in what ways have we not loved each other in our human relationships? God answers, you're right, but that's not an excuse to continue doing that. Continue loving each other. Continue doing what I had commanded way back when um, in the Ten Commandments. And so now we get to Oracle 4, 5, and 6, which is our text for today. And so Oracle 4 in Malachi chapter 2, 17 through chapter 3, verse 5, that's Oracle 4, it asks the question, um, asks the question, how have we wearied him? How have we wearied him? How have we made you tired? How have we, by saying all who do evil are good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them, or by asking where is the God of justice? So he asks them that, he, he, he lifts up the question to them um, from their heart, in what ways have we made you tired of us? In what ways have we, have, we, have we called what is bad good and what's good bad? Have we done that? And in that rhetorical question, he, he in essence says, yes, you've done that. And here's my response. I won't leave you in that state, but I'm going to come to you and provide a messenger for you whose word will be like refiner's fire or like fuller's soap. Now, I'm not a silversmith, right? I've never really melted metals, and I'm not a, I'm not a, 
um, a shepherd in the sense that I've never scrubbed sheep's wool. Fuller soap is that, is that, uh, that brick-like soap that you really can't use to take a shower, right? It's really to scrub the, the raw wool from a sheep in order to clean it. And the promise that is being um, proffered here in this, in this question is, in the midst of all that you're doing wrong, I'm not going to leave you in that, that here's a demonstration of my love, that I'm going to give you a messenger. And that messenger, when he comes is going to offer a word to you that will refine you like fire, with fire. That he will be like that fuller soap that will scrub you clean. That will clean you out. Wow, that's a harsh thing, right? Refiner's fire and like fuller soap. Now, when we go to chapter 4, that messenger is identified as Elijah. Remember Elijah Way back there in 2 Kings, prophet Elijah walking with Elisha, and Elijah, with a J, right, is brought up by a chariot of fire. Like, he didn't die, he was just brought up. And Elisha looks at that, and Elijah's there in heaven, and the Israelites had identified that tradition and that story that Elijah, who was brought up to heaven, will somehow come back. And so they identified, okay, that messenger who'll come, who'll clean out our hearts, who'll, who'll refine us, will be Elijah. And of course, we know from the New Testament, by the time John the Baptist starts preaching things, the Christian community who wrote the Gospels will identify John the Baptist as the one who is like Elijah. The messenger who Malachi is talking about here um, is John the Baptist. And that he's the one who will pave the way. He's the one whose message of repentance will pave the way to refine the heart by calling people to repentance, to pave the way. So when Jesus begins his ministry, Jesus then will offer that, that message and promise of, you know, at the cross and resurrection to free us. But John the Baptist is that advanced team that will pave the way, that will then prepare the way so when Jesus begins his ministry and confronts us with our sin, confronts us with all the things that prevents us from truly worshiping God and loving one another. And so that messenger there, uh, Malachi is talking about, will come, he says, um, will come to prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come um, to his temple. And so in that fourth oracle, he's addressing that point, I will not leave you um, in your disobedience. And I'll take care of it in this way by sending a messenger who will clear the way like refiner's fire or like, or like fuller soap. Then we get to the fifth oracle. The fifth oracle in chapter 3, 6 through 12, um, where God answers the question, so how do we return? If Israel asks the question, so how are we going to return to you? If you're asking, if you're telling us that we ought to worship you better, we ought to, or rightly, worship you rightly, if we ought to um, honor each other more, um, if we're not to practice sorcery and adultery and lying and all the catalog of sins that are there in chapter 3, what do you want us to do? Now, chapter 3, we'll go on to say, well, here's one way to do that, by offering your tithes. 
by offering your tithes. And this is one important aspect. You have neglected your tithes. Now, I won't be talking about the, you know, the One Village uh, uh, campaign pledge, but if you haven't su- submitted your pledge, it's still open, okay? Uh, one of the uh, La Costa Glen members uh, yesterday had, um, as he was exiting out, he was asking about the tithe and pledge, and he made the observation. I didn't even have to say anything. He said, yeah, you know, um, Jesus doesn't really preach upon um, tithes much, he said. And I, and I said, yeah, he doesn't really mention so much about the word tithing, but Jesus does talk about giving your whole life, that there is the tithe. The tithe is not so much 10% as it is about what? 100% to giving of yourself. And that's why he talks about the widow's might, right? That even though the widow gave that little coin or coins, she was giving it the fullness of her heart. There's the tithe that's pleasing to the Lord, isn't it? Um, not so much the amount. The amount is... is whatever the amount you're going to give, but is your heart being given? And so in that, in that passage, in this fifth oracle, as we're saying, so how shall we return? How shall we repent? How does the Lord answer that in chapter 3? He answers it in two ways. One, he says, notice here he says, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from statutes and have not kept them. Or Backtrack, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we, re- how shall we return? And then he goes on to talk about the tithing. How does he answer that question? How shall we return? He says two things. One, I have not changed. I have stayed still. There was a wonderful New York Times article last year um, uh, talking about how um, the importance of parenting and using the metaphor of being like a swimming pool, a swimming pool wall. Swimming, well, swimming pool wall. The article goes on to say of how, for instance, teenagers, they come at an age, and we're learning, the, we're, we're living in this period now, where, you know, they have these mood swings, right? They have these mood swings. And 50% of the time, they're very loving. The other 50%, oh, I find you annoying, they say. Oh, um, don't be in my room. I mean, those kinds of things. The article says that the instinct of parents is to, well, if they don't want me, then I'm going to go, right? Or I will, I will step back a little bit. The article says that parenting and grandparenting, we need to be like the swimming pool wall, sort of like when children are learning how to swim, that they need to know that you're remaining, that you're not going anywhere. Not that remain in the room, but in your parenting and in your loving and in your relating, don't retreat. Even if they find you annoying or they say, I'm mad at you or I hate you or all that stuff, whatever they say, they need to know deep inside in the midst of their mood swings and all the stresses of being a teenager and growing up and all that, that you are rock solid right there, almost absorbing and still loving. That passage says, 
For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned. You have turned aside. You, Israel, have turned. I haven't turned. You have turned. You have gone this way and that way. And what's the Lord doing? I'm right here. I'm right here. The living God who is rock solid for you. For you. I've watched you go this way and that, wandering, stressing, doing all sorts of things, praying, struggling, and I'm right here. And they're asking the question, which is our question too, how do we return to you? And then he does this lesson on the tithing. Why the tithing? Because as Jesus later teaches, remember, where your heart is, when you give, it exhibits where your heart is. And in your giving, again, this is not financial giving. This is not a, this is not a Bible study on, on stewardship of money, although that's part of it. That's an important part. But in your giving, giving of yourself, he spends an extensive time in how do you give of yourself in taking care of who? The widows? The orphans? The wages you pay to your workers? The alien, the stranger in your midst? I put here in the question in the back on page two of your, of your, of your sheet for further reflection. If you Google hunger and Bible or poverty and Bible, there's more, over a hundred texts in the Old and New Testament spent on how do you take care of those who are forgotten, those who are struggling, those who are hungry, those who are naked, those who are widows, those who are orphans, those who are prisoners. Again and again, in the Old Testament, in the prophets, in Jesus' ministry, in the early church, Acts of the Apostles, and in Paul's letters, why does the Bible care so deeply about the community taking care of those who are weak, those who are vulnerable? Because when the community offers itself, there's the offering, when the community offers itself, that is, that is a demonstration of, do you love God and love one another? There's a, there's a direct correlation between the two. How you care for the vulnerable among you is a clear demonstration of the faith and love that you have for the Lord and for one another. And that's why the prophets, the prophets in the Old Testament and Jesus' ministry, they are so harsh on those who don't care for the widows, orphans, the hungry, the naked, the prisoners, and so forth, right? Uh, they reserve their righteous judgment against those who don't care about the widows, orphans, hungry, naked prisoners, and strangers in our midst. And so that's what Malachi is doing here to, to draw Israel's attention that this is what repentance looks like. This is what right worship looks like. Giving of ourselves for each other and indeed for the world. And so we get to the sixth oracle. The sixth oracle in Malachi 3, 13 through chapter 4, verse 3, asks this question. And this is a very good question because this is asked by everyone. Even my sons ask this and students in our, in our Sunday school ask this question too. 
This is, here's a question, and even some members of the church uh, have asked me, and, and the pastors, this question is, here it is. Chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, and then it goes all the way to chapter 4. Here's the sixth oracle. You, Israel, have spoken harsh words against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, how have we spoken against you? And here's their question. You have said, it is vain to serve God. What do we profit by keeping His command or by going about as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Now we count the arrogant happy. Evildoers not only prosper, but, but when they put God to the test, they escape. What is the indictment? What's the question of the heart? In short, the Lord is saying, you are asking, why do we have to follow all of this? How does it benefit us? Why care about the Scriptures? Why care about old stories? Why care about Leviticus? Why care about the genealogy in Matthew? Why care about all these things? That's what they're asking. What benefit, what profit does it do to us, um, you know, to gather together when, you know, we could be hanging out and doing some other things? What does it profit? And then it goes on to say, what does it profit when those who are evil, when those who are not following you, they, they look like they're doing just fine. They're flourishing, and in fact, they escape. And they get away with it. Why do we have to follow? He's asking that question. And how does he answer that? I will vindicate you. My sure judgment will come and is coming. You don't have to wait for it. My sure judgment is coming. It's a hard thing, but the benefits will inure beyond your thinking and imagining. Yesterday, one of the Lacosta Glen residents said, um, this idea of repenting and turning and God judging and so forth. He said, every time that we read about repenting and God's discipline and judgment, it seems so hard and harsh but necessary. His face was pained when he said that. And I said, yeah, you know, when I, when I read those passages and it compares it to like this, yeah, the fire burning. And in chapter 4 it says that it will go to the root and the branch that, the, that God's um, judging, refining fire will go to the root and the branch. You know, I compare it to like orthodontic work, right? Orthodontic work, it's just slow. It's a science of slowness. Five years, $5,000, my teeth. All the appointments, all the replacing of the, of the rubber bands and the wires and so forth and all the things that my parents had to do to bring me to the appointments just to be sure... And even when it was removed, right, what happens? You have to put your retainers. So even after the refining happens, it's a daily. You have to keep at it. You have to keep at it, right? Teeth moving to put it in shape, but it has to be retained. It's a daily refining to the root and to the branch. Daily. It's not just a once in a lifetime. Now, when it says the days of the Lord, the day the Lord is coming, Oftentimes when the scripture uses that phrase, the day of the Lord, and sometimes it could be actually a one day, a single day, the day of the Lord. Oftentimes when it says the day of the Lord, it refers to the season. The season of the Lord is here. This goes back to when Grace and I tell our boys, back in the day, 
back in the day in, you know, when we were growing up, to which our boys very sarcastically say, oh, why, did you have lights back then? To which I retort sarcastically, yes, the year after we got rid of our Conestoga wagon, right? But so back in the day, so when we say back in the day, it's the, a generation, right? The day of the Lord. Well, what's the day of the Lord coming? Jesus coming when he was born, right? Yeah, he came in a particular day, but his season of ministry. Now, when is his season of ministry? Was it just the three and a half years of active ministry with the, with the uh, uh, disciples? Yeah, it was that. But it's not even now, right? He's the living Lord who continues to minister among us. And so the focus of Malachi is the Lord is refining a people. Every generation, preparing the way, calling us back to return to Him and to offer right worship, right living every single day, every single season. The day of the Lord is now, isn't it? And tomorrow. God calls us every single season um, to offer ourselves to Him, to the glory of God. Let me just say in closing as we um, end this time so that we could go into some Q&A. As we know, the prophets, like, um, and Malachi included, use these uh, phantasmagorical language, right, to wake up people. Talking about the day the Lord will come, um, uh, will bring evildoers like stubble, um, that those who revere my name shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves. Now, when Jesus came, were the people leaping like calves? I will send you the prophet Elijah, which would be John the Baptist, before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Was the day of the Lord, the day that Jesus appeared, was it a great and terrible day when he came? The prophets used this type of language to really drive home the point. That when God confronts a people, it will be a great and terrible day for those who didn't expect it or those who deny Jesus that, no, you're not the Messiah. No, you're not the promised one. It's terrible for them. What the prophets do and what Malachi is doing here is saying, the day the Lord is coming. And we know that Jesus comes. It is a terrible day for those who live in darkness. They don't care for, for Christ and so on and so forth. But his coming really confronts people in our sin, in our captivity, in all the ways that we seem to be chained to what we want. And he wants to free us, to free us so that we would love God and love one another, worship God in a way that is well-pleasing to him, right? That's what he's doing. And so... It may, not, it may not appear at first or second glance, wow, Jesus' ministry wasn't terrible. It wasn't, you know, this uh, 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 great light show. But in another sense, it is because his ministry in many ways was subtle. And when he confronts people with that little question or a little parable here and there, he's working at the heart. And then when the cross comes, world watch out and then when the resurrection comes really watch out because God is on the move 
And when God is on the move and God confronts us, watch out because you're going to be changed. So watch out, world. Jesus is coming. Amen. All right. Let us uh, engage in some Q&A if we have time. Yeah, we have some little time here. Uh, the choir is singing the Messiah this weekend, and as we have been singing, uh, working on all the different choruses, there are 20 choruses that we're going to sing, and um, really it relates to this 100%. You know, when it talks about purifying, um, what, is this, what is the chorus that we're singing about purifying? He shall purify. That's what we're going to be singing this Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, and that's straight out of the scripture. Mm-hmm. And um, as we go along, you know, week to week, reading and singing these, it inter- you internalize it mm-hmm. as you go along. And it really is a preparation and an Advent preparation for what we're doing. Right. Um, you know, People just think, well, okay, the choir just rehearses and they get up there and sing. But we are internalizing the message of Christmas as we do that. And I just want everybody to know that we are doing that. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you to the, to the choir and to Juan Carlos for, um, for prepping so carefully on that. Yeah, Handel's Messiah uh, this coming weekend. December 8th and 9th, but yeah, the, the music and the message of preparing us in the season of Advent. Oh, also, one other little thing. My next-door neighbor is, a, is Catholic, mm-hmm. and she said to me this week that the, um, what do you call the pastor at the Catholic Church? The priest. The priest. That the priest said, if you want to totally understand the message of Christmas, Go and see the whole Messiah. Mm-hmm. There we go. I thought that was interesting. Wonderful. Hear the Messiah to prepare them for the Messiah. Arlene. I have a question about the uh, fact that this is the last uh, chapter before we go to the Gospel, the New Testament. And you were saying that it was actually written later. In other words, I guess, is there some meaning to the fact it's the last one? The, that for some reason in that, it's in that position. In yeah. The, in the as opposed to chronological. Yeah. Right, as opposed to chronological. Yeah. I think one of, the, one of the considerations of placing it here, um, of course, before the intertestamental period and we get to Alexander the Great and then the Roman Empire, is that the, the pivot of the post-exile, right? So Malachi would be, along with Zechariah, um, who is right there before Malachi, were the prophets post-exilic. Number two, the fact that chapter four ends on the note, I will send you the prophet Elijah, and then John the Baptist's ministry in the New Testament sets out as he is being identified as like the prophet Elijah, uh, makes that a, a seamless reading into there. Piggybacking on that in the chapter four, where 
um, you talk about Elijah, and then it goes on to say, um, if children refuse, I'll come and put the land under a curse, where you talk about parents disciplining or convincing parents to look after their children yes. and children to look up to their parents. And that last sentence, if they refuse, I'll come and put the land under a curse. What does that mean? So let me, um, so the question is on Malachi 4, yes. 6, where it yes. says, he will turn the hearts, he, the prophet Elijah, will turn the right. hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. Um, the short answer of that is, if you look on your outline, uh, point four of the outline, where I make reference to John the Baptist, specifically Luke chapter 1, verse 17, that describes John the Baptist and his ministry as, quote, with the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him, him meaning Jesus, to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So in short, um, in John the Baptist's ministry of repentance and baptism of repentance, what he's doing is calling forth the people of all ages, children to parents, parents to children, so that they will love each other in a way that they had not. Um, it's a shorthand way of saying um, to live out the, uh, the fifth commandment, honor thy father and mother, so that by the preaching of repentance, and then when Jesus comes, he seals the deal, if you will, and says, in essence, makes the family whole, makes their love whole once again. Offer you God's blessings as you uh, break up into small groups. And this has been a wonderful uh, year, a wonderful uh, season, a wonderful month. Not that it's over, but, you know, this is the last, uh, last study. And so why don't we look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, as we uh, close out uh, this season, this month, and indeed this decade, Lord, with, this, uh, with these uh, Bible studies, we're grateful that no matter what season it is, no matter what time it is, oh Lord, you are the God who whose love is unending and unfailing, the God whose delight and desire for us never changes. Uh, you are the God who continually and constantly and consistently loves us and pursues us as you have pursued a people in every generation. Father, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for Malachi. Thank you for, most of all, for your son, Jesus Christ, who offers your life and love to us in a way that only you can. So, Lord, I pray that as my friends here go off into small groups, that you would continue to anchor us to your heart so that we might be about working out your justice and righteousness in the world so that all the world may love you and love one another as you love us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone.